0: Okay, wonderful. All right, without further ado, we'll start. Um, So I always start with the intro, which I'll do in um, three, two, one. Happy, happy hour, everyone. My name is Chewy Altamorano, and this is Five Questions and a Beer, the podcast where each week I have the honor of sitting with a different guest, we crack open a cold one, and I ask them five questions with hopes that by the end of the episode, I get to know them just a little bit more. And today, I have the pleasure of sitting with... Troyel Dixon, Troyel, how are you? I'm doing well, Chewy. Thank you. Thank you so much for um, sitting
1: down with me. I'm um, very happy to be here and a little excited
0: and uh, energized <inaudible> by this. So, um, listeners, this is our first official Zoom interview, which is wonderful. And I think that since the 2020 pandemic that we are still currently in, I think you know it is going to be something that we continue doing, just based off of our guests comfort and safety levels. And right now this is the best for the both of us. And so I'm excited to be experimenting with this format too. So that like, not only if a guest cannot come into studio, I don't know, maybe I'll have somebody on from California or Europe or anywhere from around the world. This is opening up our world with everyone else. So I'm happy to be able to do this for the first time.
1: Well, two things. I appreciate you allowing me to feel comfortable doing this. And the second thing is I hope it
0: all works out well and it doesn't end up, you know, on the cutting room floor. Oh no. Yeah. Listen, I, we will have to figure something out because I refuse to let this episode go to waste, (laughs) but I'm sure it's going to work out. I have a lot of faith in producer Ian over here and it's going to be wonderful. So I met Troy Ellen, which is a big reason why I wanted Troy on this um, episode. I met Troy Ellen in 2021. Um, I, we were, mid-pandemic, um, you know, things were opening up a little bit more, but they are nowhere near where they are now and where they maybe they will be in the future or definitely how they were in the past. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, I would really love to have an art show, but it felt very, if I'm going to be completely honest, and I don't know if I've ever told you the story, and if we, but um, it felt very selfish to say to myself, I want to show art and have people risk their safety although we had many a precaution and it was very very safe but risk their safety to come see my art because as an artist honestly one of my favorite things to do is being able to show it to people and have that interaction and talk about it and get to know people similar to this this is this is an extension of my art um it felt very selfish for me to do that and so i said to myself you know i i was lucky enough at the time and still am to be in good standings where I was not, you know, I still was lucky enough to keep my job. I was still lucky enough to, you know, even be able to hunker down at home. I felt, you know, that was lucky. And so I said to myself, you know, I'm not selling art for myself right now. And so I wanted to give back. And that's where I met Troy Allen. Um, and I don't, and my apologies, I should have this in my note. I don't remember your exact title and at, at uh, the A.J. Williams Myers African Root Center, which is where you know, ahead of myself, where I eventually chose to donate a lot of the proceeds to the auction that we did. Um, But that is where I met you at that time, and we connected, and I gave you that idea, and, you know, you gave me your blessing. Um, And I I guess I didn't finish that story, so what I did was I hosted just a silent auction, and I had some people come by and look at my art, and if they wanted to throw any amount of cash that they had to buy one of my pieces, 100% of the proceeds went to the AJ Woods Myers African Root Center, which is a great organization that is located in downtown Kingston, New York, where we are both located, um, which is where I was lucky enough to meet you and yes, uh, exactly. find out that you you and I come from the same hometown and that we were both transplants to this beautiful city and we hit it off. And right now, this is probably gonna be the most that you and I have ever talked, which mostly me at this moment, <laughs> but <laughs> that is where we met. And I'm very lucky to have met you. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that time in in at all as well, but you know, just to give people the details.
1: Well, when I was at the African Root Center when the pandemic shut everything down, we actually were in the midst of doing uh, we were being doing programming around Women's History Month, March 2020, and everything shut down. And I remember reaching out to people and saying, Well, maybe we can do some kind of way, but we were all figuring out Zoom or Teams or Google Meet or whatever it was. And um, I remember at the time we finally got our act together, probably around May or June, when we were able to do some real programming via Zoom. And as you mentioned before about doing this this evening, we had somebody on who's in, in North Carolina. We would have never been able to have a, a program featuring somebody from North Carolina because African Roots Center can't bring people into Pankake, you know, put them up for a couple of nights, the whole nine yards. So it really worked out well when you came to us with your idea of doing your your art, which I love,
0: Thank
1: you. uh, doing your art and doing it to support the African Roots Center, I was just, it, there were many generous moments that I'm grateful for during, you know, the real brunt of the pandemic, but yours is one that will stick with me because it was just out of the blue. It was out of the blue that you came up and said, hi, my name
0: is Chewy, and I want to do this. And we made it happen. Well, you know, for me, it was just that I was very familiar with you guys. And I, you know, it wasn't fortunate before the pandemic to be able to stop in as much and, um, and I knew a couple people who worked with you guys and I knew the program that you did specifically for the youth in the town. And so I said to myself, you know, if if there's any place that maybe could use, this would be a place that is used to doing live programming for the community. And that is that's, that was one of the most heartbreaking parts of 2020 was that so many things just had to stop. And there were so many things that where people relied on centers like, you know, the African Root Center that just like had to stop. And so that was definitely a big Part of my mind, and I said, You know what? Let's our, I not that it was, but I was like, I think these guys are incredible, so if I can help, I would love to help. And that was really which it's very maybe it seemed a little too simple in my own mind, but I mean, it was it truly was my pleasure in any way. And I wasn't trying to seem like a hero in any way, but if it was going to go anywhere, I would rather go to a place like that organization, truly, honestly. Um, and like I said, in that time, I felt very lucky enough to feel safe, you know, secure in my own life. And so, if I could help out, it really was, you know it was a no-brainer for me. And I'm happy that it went down as a success. Um, I don't remember exactly how much I raised and nor does it even matter, but I do no, know that, you know, it created an amazing relationship, not only with you, but with the organization. And it it really is a very proud moment in my own career. Um, and I was really happy to do that with you guys.
1: Well, I always smile when I'm uptown because the orange manatee is on the side of the I'm terrible with streets. I just know where it
0: is. Where that Yeah, front and wall, yeah. is. yeah. Yes, uh-huh. thank you. Well, that makes me happy to hear that always, and I appreciate that. Um, but also, like I said before, too, which I'm excited to chat a little bit more about, we haven't talked more about, is that you and I come from the same hometown. We come from New Rochelle, New York,
1: Yeah. which
0: I you don't come across many people in this town who are from exactly the, the city that you grew up in. Um Exactly. Yeah. I do. How do you mind if you do have any points on like, you know, what it was like for you growing up in her show? If you, I don't know if you have any like tidbits on it. I mean, I, I have my own view on it and relationship on it now that has changed tremendously throughout the years. So I'm, you know, I'm curious to see how that is for you.
1: Well, I was actually born in the Bronx Okay, and my parents, you know, my older sister and I parents, my father was a New York city fireman and they announced one day, we bought a house in New Rochelle. And it was like, my sister and I are looking at like, what is New Rochelle? Where are we going? And my mother like, it's really nice. You'll have a backyard. I said, I have a backyard. It's called Van Cortlandt Park, you know? (laughs) Is it the size of that park kind of thing? But we moved to New Rochelle. And of course I'm leaving all my friends behind, but over the years, quick aside, All of my friends' parents moved out of the neighborhood that we lived in, in the Bronx. They moved to Long Island, New Jersey, other parts of Westchester County, et cetera. It was the thing to do in the early 60s. So anyway, when I got to New Rochelle, New Rochelle was still a pretty small town. Yeah, I I mean, it it was the city of New Rochelle, but it was a small town. And so I met people, I started going to school in New Rochelle, you know, my neighbors, we had the neighborhood crew, the whole nine yards. This was, I'm a million years older than you. So, I mean, this was when kids, even young kids could go out and play and their parents didn't have to worry about them. So we would go down. The biggest thing that happened in New Rochelle when I was there was when they opened up the New Rochelle mall, Macy's at the mall that was just incredible and of course we became mall rats because we would go down there with our $2.50 and you know buy ice cream or go to the movie theater or whatever it was yeah. but i really i really liked growing up in New Rochelle the other big thing that happened in New Rochelle was when the high
0: school burned oh yes uh-huh. Yeah. I do know that. I can't the tell you, you that program. is a that is a lore that I have heard many a times growing up in Rochelle. Yeah,
1: right. And my, as I said, my father was worked for FIDNI. There were a couple of people we knew who worked who were New York City firefighters. And one of the comments I'll never forget, my father saying is, "Of course they they were off that day, so they go up to watch this conflagration." And as New York City firefighters they're trained to fight fires ahead of where the fire's going because you could lose a whole city block if it gets ahead of
0: you. Mm -hmm.
1: And he was watching the New Rochelle Fire Department and saying their training is so different from ours because they were chasing the fire. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so, you know, it was just an observation he wasn't picking on them but he was like it's it's interesting to see how different the training was so those were the two big things that happened but um i remember we had great delis we had great pizza places main street had like four or five different movie theaters it was Mm -hmm. it was a good place and there was um Oh God, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a record shop that we all went to and you could get 45s
0: back then for like under a dollar. Yeah. Oh my God, I love, I love, absolutely love hearing those stories, specifically from Neurochelle back in the 70s in like its heyday of like, I've heard so many amazing stories of like, kids you know on the weekend and it was everyone had a hot car and they'd be driving down North Avenue and then you'd start at one end of North Avenue and you just walk down and you'd see your entire class and you know you'd show off your outfit you know I've heard like so many of these great stories and um I mean my parents moved to New Rochelle in the late 90s or the mid 90s when I was two years old I was born in Manhattan and then lived in the Bronx but then by the time I was two years old we started living in our apartment in Rochelle um and yeah. It was a lot different of a time. Like I loved your, I I love the parallel of you saying it was such a big deal when the mall came by the time I moved to New Rochelle, the mall was gone, but by the time I was five years old, New York city came, which was a similar spectacle I can imagine. Right. Where, like it was kind of like this like megaplex. And now there's after this movie theater in this bowling alley that like was in downtown New Rochelle that we didn't have before. That is was a staple of my mind growing up and it's still there. I mean, my parents no longer live in New Rochelle, but I do have still have a lot of my roots there. Um, but I bring up I bring up all this to say. I mean, like one of my favorite things to say about Nourashell is that it's not necessarily a tidbit about Nourashell itself, but I don't know. I like to have this conversation and I always love to hear about where people grew up, negatively or positively, because I remember at the time, I mean, I now have a lot of fond memories in Nourashell. You know, I um there were some moments, obviously, like I'm sure for you, and I'm familiar, and I've I've done my research and I've listened to your amazing your TMI story. Um, where yeah, there are of course some dark spots. And I was also went to a predominantly white school and, you know, we figure it out and then we, we get out and we do it. Um, and I remember finally leaving being like, Oh, I've been waiting for this for a while. And I always felt like never close enough to the city, but too close to the city. And it never really happened, but it wasn't until I went to college and I studied geography. And one of my favorite aspects of geography is cultural geography. And I think I love hearing where people grew up because it's, it makes you who you are. For better yes. or for worse. And that's it's who you are today for the experiences that you had growing up. And it made me become so much more fond of Nurishel than I ever was growing up in Nurishel. And now the city has such uh, a huge soft spot in my heart, although I've never lived there since I've graduated high school and my parents moved out shortly after high school, but a ginormous soft spot in my heart because, um, you know, I wouldn't be who I am today if, I, if it wasn't for the experiences that I that happened in Um And a fun fact for you. Which I'll show you since we never met in person. I graduated college with a degree in geography. And as soon as I graduated college, I got a tattoo of the map of Neurochelle on my arm. Oh my goodness, Julie. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, so it's like it's one of those things too. So it's like as soon as I found out that you're from Neurochelle, I was like, oh my god, I can't wait to gush. And this is only the tip of the iceberg. We won't gush anymore. We're gonna move on to the podcast. I think we No, but, a but a can I ask fun. you? Yes, thruway,
1: remember Thruway Diner,
0: yes, right off diner. of the highway. Yeah,
1: and then the college diner up past Iona. Was it still? Yes, there? it was
0: that. So, that was the diner that I went to. We growing up, because we lived in downtown Rochelle, so growing up, we always went to the Thruway. But by the time I think I was in middle school, they tore it down. And oh. so, then, yeah, and well, I tell you a whole I love talking about the diners in Rochelle, too. These are the geography, brain of me, but like they tore that down. Um, so then when I was in high school and I was in my like brunt of dinerage, the Mirage Diner, which I'm guessing was that it was named differently for you, but that was the one on North Avenue by Iona. Um, no, that was, was called, our main
1: diner. Yes, that was called and the then, College Diner.
0: Yes. Uh, so it was the Mirage Diner for us. And so that's where we went late nights in high school all the time. And then eventually they rebuilt the throughway by the name of the Nurichel Diner, which is now currently there. Okay. And Iona college has taken over that entire strip and knocked down the Mirage diner, AKA the college diner. So that diner is no longer there, but in a lot of ways, the thruway diner is kind of back because the nourish diner is there. and It's in this exact same location. So it's, it really is. But I do know. Yeah. I know all those diners very well. No. Okay. <laughs> we can stop gushing about. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get together sometime soon. Maybe after the cold, then we'll have a phone call and we'll talk all about nourish. I would love to hear more <laughs> of your stories. I, I can bring up stuff like this all the time. Um, well, again, thank you so much for joining you. As the title uh, joining me, I'm happy to join you. Um, as the title suggests, this is five questions in a beer. Um, and today we are drinking Samuel Smith's Old Brewery, pure brewed organic lager beer. Um, and so I'll give you some little tidbits about Samuel's Smith, Samuel Smith's Old Brewery. Uh, Samuel Smith's Old Brewery is one of the, the oldest family-owned breweries in Britain. It was founded in 1758 in the Yorkshire town of Tadcaster, where beer has been produced since the 14th century with the aid of water pumped up um, 85 feet from the underground lake of limestone water. The importance of the water supply gave Tadcaster the nickname of the Burton of the North because Burton-on-Trent in the Midlands is also famous for excellent brewing water. Okay. And so today we are going to be drinking pure brewed organic lager beer um it's five percent abv and a european pale ale yeah so exciting so um we usually we always crack our beers at the same time it's gonna be a little bit hard on zoom but it's time for the crack so if you're ready to crack and i know that you're going to be pouring your beer in a glass am i right is that what you suggested oh i don't have a glass oh a mason jar even better even better, <laughs> like we're in a pub in England. I don't know if that's what they drink in England, but it's. Well, you know, this is what I use these days. <laughs> okay. And um, you please feel free to pour. But before you take a sip, I like to toast. And so I'll, we'll toast together before we take a sip. Oh, it has a lovely color. I know. I usually don't drink out of a glass. So I I, I wing it as soon as I take a sip. No. Well, I you shouldn't. know what? Any if it's, a, if it's a bottle, I don't use a glass. No, I understand completely. I always give people the option, though, because I know different shows for different folks. All right. Well, remember when you invited me, I told you you had me at end a beer. (laughs) Wonderful. All right. So cheers. And here's to staying positive and testing negative for the flu and COVID. Thank you. Cheers to you. Oh, that's good. Oh, that is good. That's very, very good. Nice. I like that. That's very crisp. Um, in case anybody else, I just because they're in my notes and I might as well just save them. Here are some notes that I found online. Um, Brewed with great care using only organic malted barley, organic hops, medium soft water, and a bottom of fermenting yeast, matured at low temperatures to bring out a delicate flavor and soft hop character finish. It's beautiful. This is actually a very, I really like this. Um, I I didn't realize this when I purchased it, but I actually do have some fun history with this brand um, that's short I remember growing up me and my older sister Maddie would take the Metro North into the city and we would go into the village and we would just run them up for a night not doing anything but walking around and then on our way back we would always stop at this one corner store in St. Mark's and we'd buy this brand beer and I didn't realize that until I was doing my research and I was like oh that's even better like I kind of like have that connection with you it. have the history yes, of- yeah but we would always buy like large bottles that were like flavored, but they're always organic. And that's kind of what caught our eye if we were organic at all. But I don't know. It's nice to be drinking that too. It's a nice little memory with it. But well, I is like it. Good. How do it's you like it? A, it's very smooth. It's almost got like a creaminess to it. And it's. I agree. One thousand percent. What kind of beers do you usually drink? Are you a, are you a big beer drinker? Do you enjoy a casual beer? What is what's your story behind beer, drinking beer? I've been drinking beer since I was like four years old. My father,
1: <laughs> my father loved beer. He really did. If he was still alive today, he would be happier than the proverbial pig and you know what, because he would like <laughs> be at micro breweries and everything. Oh, uh, that's he awesome. Used to, he used to take a little shot glass and he would fill it up with a little beer and give it to me, which of course drove my mother nuts. <laughs> and, sure. my, and my And my father was like, it's fine, it's a shot glass. She'll be fine. It's not like she's driving anywhere so <laughs> i' I've been sipping different beers. We used to go to Canada every year and we would go to different Canadian breweries and up there they didn't frown they didn't frown upon giving the kids a little sip of beer, you know out of their, <laughs> once it was ordered. So I've been drinking beer forever. I have um. I have a fondness. Over the years, it's changed. But right now, I sort of have a fondness for various IPAs, mm-hmm. whether it's, um, what is it? God, something raging, raging somebody brewery. I can't remember their name right now. But there I'll are a on lot of- We'll have
0: it on a future episode. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, but there are,
1: I really do like, and one of my favorite is Allagash okay. Correo, which is that is actually uh, a beer that's fermented in bourbon barrels. Ooh. That is a marvelous beer, but it's but the a B the alcohol content is high. It I comes in you know, comes in a big bottle and everything, and it's the kind of thing where you better be serving it in your own home or where you can spend the
0: night at someone else. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. because
1: it's like drinking bourbon.
0: It sounds very yummy. I've had a beer similar and it sounds very yummy. Well, I'm definitely going to put it on the list. And if it comes up in a future episode, you are getting the most highest, I shout outs possible. (laughs) All right. Well, shall we move on to the questions? Absolutely. I'm ready. Okay. So I'm starting with, and for whatever reason, I don't know why, I said to myself, okay, I'm going to have Troy Allen on. This question is the first question that came to mind. I don't know why. I just was curious at your answer. I don't know why. I thought maybe you'd have a really good answer. But what is the best party you've ever been to?
1: I've been to some really good parties. There's no (laughs) doubt about it. Um, But the best party I ever went to, and there's a backstory to this, was my wedding in 1975. Incredible. It was a it was a backyard wedding at my house in the Rochelle. It oh, was that's kind of it was the kind of wedding where, and you know how we are, where the aunts and the uncles who may or may not be blood relatives, right? Oh, yeah. The aunts and the uncles did everything. Somebody was taking care of the cake, somebody was taking care of the flowers, somebody was doing this. My mother and the neighbor who lived up the street, with was my friend's, my best friend's mother. They made my wedding dress, which was not the traditional white veil or anything like that. We were up until two o'clock in the morning blowing up yellow and white balloons so that we tied them on all of the bushes and trees and everything. It was just, it was such an amazing family party. And it. I had the best time. I had just stumbled out of, you know, Oberlin College like in June, and I was getting married in July. Sadly, the, wedding, the, the marriage didn't last very long. Uh, I actually came home on July 28th. We got married earlier in July. I came home, and I remember my father, who had retired at that point but was working with the telephone company, He came home that night, and I said, Daddy, you know, I'm really sorry. You know, you you spent all this money. I mean, a backyard wedding, it really wasn't a fortune for them, but it was still a cost. You spent all this money, and it doesn't look like this marriage is going to last. And I'm really sorry, and my father looked at me, and he said, don't worry about it. It was an amazing party. And I said, yes, it
0: was. (laughs) It was. (laughs)
1: For me, it's obviously because of the family and the whole thing and everything, but I'm, I have been to weddings. I've been in weddings where the bride and groom are like, I don't even remember the day because it's such a production. And for me, I remember every bit of it. My uncle Baldwin was like wearing his three piece suit and he had champagne in each hand and he was just pouring. He just kept pouring, pouring. (laughs) People were standing there chatting and it was like he didn't even ask. He just kept pouring, pouring. You know, my aunts and my uncles going around doing different things. It was just, it was extraordinary. And as long as I
0: can remember, I will always remember that day as being one of the best parties. Oh, that's incredible. It sounds a lot like my uh, cousin Jennifer had a very similar wedding where it was in the backyard and uh, it just was a, very, a huge family affair, which yeah. if I could think back myself, I mean, I I, didn't, I don't usually answer these questions, so I can't pinpoint one. But if I can think back that some of the best parties I've ever I've been to, they're always family. They're always family parties because they're the people that you can cut loose with, you know, like if you're lucky enough to have. Families like yours and I's, but they're the people that you can cut loose with, you know, not worry about, you know, that everyone's having a good time. Everyone's with everyone, joking around. We all know each other. That It sounds incredible. I wish I could be there. And Take me history. Back. I would love to be a guest. And, there,
1: and there's history. We yes. all share the history because many of the people there, they've known me before I was born. Yeah. You know, so. And there they were celebrating what ended up being still the happiest day of my life.
0: In some ways, even though the marriage didn't work out, but what an amazing memory to have out of that! I, I like the way that you you phrase it yourself. It's like it, although it, maybe that didn't end up being the best, but you just have this incredible memory regardless. Which you know, a marriage is technically supposed to be about one person and another, but a uh, you know a ceremony or you know a wedding. Be about everybody, and it's this case so many years later, it wasn't necessarily about the two of you, but it was more about everyone. Yeah, I it it reminds me a lot of my, my family would throw me birthday parties every single year, and we'd always joke that you know I didn't have many friends, but I had a humongous family, right? But it was so we'd have this huge barbecue every year for my birthday, and we'd always joke that it was just a family reunion that was disguised as a as a, a little boy's birthday party. And it feels like this is maybe a similar thing where it's like this seems like a family reunion, a big party, but it's disguised as a wedding, which is well, also beautiful by the way. My
1: parents told me, I mean, we left to, you know, go off to the honeymoon at probably around 5, maybe 5:30. My parents told me they, the, the last people didn't leave until sometime around midnight and they had been that's there cool. since, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning because they were all helping. Yeah, and probably. so it was just like, they just kept partying on.
0: It was great. Oh, that's awesome. Well, that's, a, see, I, that's a, I love that answer. It's incredible. All right. Well, let's move on to question number two. So you mentioned that, I'm, you know, you even said to yourself, as we talked about many times, it's probably going to come up over and over again, which anybody could say once i bring up New Rochelle, it keeps coming up but you grew up in Rochelle and had her wedding in Rochelle, which tie, goes back to your roots of where you grew up and what a beautiful thing to have a backyard wedding speaking of kind of like th- those times of growing up um what were some of your childhood heroes growing up if you if you can remember any and if and why you know
1: my childhood heroes were all family they were all in family because Where I grew up, they called them the projects in the Bronx, Mm -hmm. but it was when the New York City Housing Authority was building apartment buildings for people returning from World War II, starting families, et cetera, to live fairly inexpensively. So we had family. We had family in every one of the buildings in this, you know, housing authority complex. And they did so many fascinating things. Like I said, my father was a fireman. There was a postman. One of my best friend's fathers was a photographer, Chuck Stewart, who liked jazz photography. He had a studio down in New York City, and we would beg him to let us go down there and see. We didn't really know who these people were. I mean, it was Dizzy Gillespie, Sarah Vaughn, whatever. I know who they are now, obviously. Yeah. But we just knew we were in, we were in the presence of greatness. He did a loving spoonful. Shoe. I didn't get to go to that one, but you know that's the kind <laughs> of thing that he did. My, you know, my my aunt Eleanor, my uncle Bussy was a cutter in the garment district. And I remember sitting there and I was like, what is a cutter? Because I'm thinking like, is he just cutting things? Like, But he was, you know, cutting, which was a skill to be able to cut things Absolutely. out with patterns so that they could then be sewn. And so they were my heroes because they were doing so many, you know, when I was like four, five, six, seven, eight years old, they were doing so many really interesting and different things nobody was doing the same thing. I'm sure there were other firemen who lived in the complex, but they probably lived on the other side. And, you know, it's kind of like, we never even got there. It might as well have been the moon, you know, the yeah. other side.
0: Yeah, so, absolutely. Especially at that age too. It's like, everything seems so much larger than it actually is. Yeah.
1: Right. That's but incredible. I mean, and, and those were my, you know, when, when I was looking at that question yesterday. And I was like, well, did I really have heroes? And then I stopped trying to think of people out there and said, no, my heroes were the people in. I mean, I'll tell a funny story uh, because I'm old enough and I don't care anymore. But my parents were having a party. I can't remember if it was New Year's Eve or something, but they were having a party. I couldn't have been maybe more than four years old. And they used to have these pop beads when I was a kid. And I thought it was just the best thing in the world. I don't actually remember this, but everybody talked about it all the time. Even when I was like 20 and it was like, stop. But I put pop beads around my neck, my ankles, my waist, my wrists. And that's all I had on. I was three years old. (laughs) <laughs> and I, my parents are in their, in their bedroom getting ready and, and the the doorbell rings and I knew it was probably Eleanor and Bussy because they were always the first ones to arrive because they would help with setting up. Mm-hmm. And I open up the door and Bussy is like, Dear God, I'm standing there in pop beans with nothing on. Eleanor said, <laughs> Eleanor said he got his jacket off so fast, wrapped it around me. You know, picked me up, brought me into the bedroom, rummaged through until he could find some clothes to put me in and dressed me. My mother and father came out and was like, What the hella below? And he said he couldn't even make a sentence. You know? <laughs> Those are my heroes because he didn't chastise me or anything. It was just he got me dressed.
0: Yeah. That's incredible. That's incredible. And something I can completely relate to. And I, I do love that answer. I like that you went kind of inwards into the family, which again, like I said before, it's like when you're lucky enough to have a large family that, you know, is very caring, that really is how it is growing up. Those are the people that you see on a daily basis, working hard every single day. And it is something admirable to look up to. I think that's incredible. Thank you for the great story. That's so funny. That's that's also similar to something that my family would talk about for years and years and years and keep coming. Yeah,
1: you know, by the time I got to be 30, I I didn't blush anymore. But you can imagine (laughs) from like 14 to 24, it was like, oh, God, not this story again.
0: Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's funny. Okay, well, question number three. What is a book or piece of media that you would – recommend to anyone entering adulthood whether that is you know entering college or maybe just leaving college and entering the workforce just some kind of piece of knowledge that will help you enter that transition like what is a book or a piece of media that you think is very mandatory for someone around that time in their life to consume to help them along that journey
1: I didn't think about that question in that way. I thought about that question more in terms of as you're growing and preparing to do different things than you've done as a college student or as a teen or mm-hmm. as a child in the world. And so my recommendation is, this is probably going to sound weird. It's a book called On Death and Dying by Elizabeth okay. Kubler-Ross. Okay. Because, and even in college, you're still insulated. Not saying that people don't die, grandparents die, there are accidents, you know, things happen, but you're still kind of insulated. But once you're out in the world, you're going to have to deal with a lot of this stuff on your own and figure it out.
0: And the thing, despite the title, have you ever read it? No, I can't say I have. And I'm not, I'm, although I have a very bad memory, I will admit. So it doesn't ring a bell. Maybe if once I see it in front of me and I flip through, I would know, but I can't say I've read it. No, I haven't.
1: Well, it's probably not the kind of thing that you find under the Christmas tree, okay, as one of your (laughs) gifts. But on Death and Dying, what I loved about it is, despite the title, it's really, it's uplifting. It's hopeful. It's about, it's about how we process that whole thing, how we process it as the patient, as the you know medical community, as the family and everything. And Kubla Ross came up with it. I'm going to just look at my notes because I never remember it. But she talked about when you get the news, whether it's the family or the actual person, mm-hmm. it's like there's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance Mm -hmm. and that everybody should go through that don't try to rush it don't say oh i'm not going to get angry get angry scream you know it's like you find out somebody's dying or you find out that you're dying the reason why i read it in college i think it was published in the late 60s and i was in college in the early 70s but the thing about it is that it kind of it demystifies death. And in this country, particularly, depending on cultural influences or religious influences or whatever, we're pretty squeamish about death in this country. We come up with all sorts of terms like they're gone, they've passed. You know, I, I'm of I the, they're dead. And that is jarring to some people. I understand that. But I also grew up in a family where We didn't really fear death, but it was never talked about much, but the way we, the way we approached it was very matter of fact. Yeah. This, this book is something that I'm recommending it. It's not required reading, but it's the kind of book that makes you less afraid of, and particularly when you you get into your twenties and you realize your parents aren't going to live forever. Mm -hmm. that's when it probably really first hits you that they're Mm -hmm. not going to live forever. And for me personally, my father died suddenly before I was 30 years old. He was only 59, but it helped me deal with that. I mean, from telling you that I used to drink beer with him from the time I was four, you can imagine I was very close. Oh yeah. So it's, it's the kind of thing that And it also it's not just about dying, it's about living. Mm -hmm. That's the other point I want to make. And it helps you figure out how to keep living. You know, God God may not promise us tomorrow, but we keep living and embracing that. So, yeah,
0: that's mine. It's probably not what you expected, but (laughs) it isn't. But I think it's a wonderful answer and um. It's going to go on our list of where, I mean, we're slowly putting together a five questions in a beer book club list. I asked, we had Alex Larios on the show who, I don't know if you're familiar oh, yeah. with Alex Larios, who um, it has a, an incredible knowledge of literature. And so I, I I had to ask her about books as well. And so she recommended a couple of books. And so it's going on that list. And I think I think that's an incredible answer, honestly. And I love I loved the way you mentioned the stages of grief, which I think beyond grief, There's always a really good lesson there. And I always try to remind people if they're going through something as if, you know, I don't know, as if I I stand on any ground, but I do think it's an important lesson is that we unfortunately don't live in a world where you can snap your fingers and something's going to happen, whether that's something you really want to happen, or if that's something that you really want to go away. We don't, we don't get that pleasure in life. And so I think it's always incredibly important for you to feel your, feel your feelings, know that it's not going to happen right away. And so take your time, feel your feelings. And then once you, from there, you can take two steps forward or two steps backwards to kind of reevaluate and see where your next step is. You know, I think there's no use in panicking, expecting something to happen immediately because it's not going to. And I spend many a time feeling that same way. So I completely understand why it becomes so easy.
1: Because Klu- Kubler-Ross is long gone now, mm-hmm. but over the intervening years, I think others have written different forewords and things into the book. But That's it's cool. timeless because, you know, death and dying has been with us since the very beginning of time. So yeah. it's the the reflections and ruminations are timeless.
0: Um, even as somebody who I'm still in in my mind, I'm an old man. and I know I still have a lot of years ahead of me, but I, I know I can find some wisdom in that. And so I appreciate you giving me that wisdom. Um, well. On to question number four, you mentioned briefly, mentioned a little bit just now in this last question, but you also mentioned in, the, in a question previously, um, you attended Oberlin College, which is in Oberlin, Ohio. And I'm, I'm sure that when I sent you some of these prompts, you were probably like, why does he want to know about Ohio? I don't know. I actually don't know what your thoughts are on Ohio, which is why I asked you. But before you answer, I guess maybe I'll explain myself as to why I asked you this question. I have a very weird relationship with Ohio. It's actually not that weird, but it's weird for me because like, I have never been to Ohio. I would love to visit Ohio because when I was in college, I wrote a term paper about Ohio. And so I feel like I have a lot of like this random, which is, it's not much as it used to be. So I can't spit any facts. But um, back when I was in college, I was in a, um, I believe the class was called the Geography of American History and Government, I believe was the class. Okay. Um, and we, we our term paper was each one of us um, were assigned a swing state, but sp- specifically for the tw- 2012 election. Um, and we had to write a term paper about the history of that state, the geography of that state, specifically the cultural geography of that state, and why, after all this time, that state is a swing state. And so Ohio was interesting because... Um, I even have some notes myself. I actually pulled, I went back and I found the term paper. I wasn't able to read <laughs> it. I wanted to read it today, but I was so busy with work, which is my fault. And excuse me, I'm no journalist, although I'm prep, this is my own masterclass. But I did go back and looked at some of the PowerPoints. And Ohio is an interesting state where it's separated to five distinct regions. There are four very large cities, um, which that those are really the main reasons why it's such a swing state because it's one of those interesting states where if you look at a map of it and its counties, specifically during election, you see the sea of red. But those, because of those states, you know, we have like those deep blues in these small pockets of Ohio that create a swing state, which was light like in the 2012 election, it, it went blue. Um, and so I just have like this weird fascination with Ohio and specifically I have, I've, I've always had a fascination with large cities. Um, so I've, I would love to visit Ohio one day and see Toledo and Cleveland and Columbus and Cle- you know, all these, all these c- c- uh, cities that I've written about back when I was in college. Um, so that preface, now that you know why I asked this question, you went to college in Oberlin College, which is in Oberlin, Ohio. And I'm curious as to what that experience was like for you and what are, what is your relationship with Ohio today? Okay. I chose
1: Oberlin College. I actually chose Ohio to apply. I applied to all Ohio schools, Interesting. except, except. I also applied to Cooper Union because at the time, I imagined that I wanted to be an architect. Okay. I, and I did get accepted to Cooper Union, as memory serves. But anyway, I did get accepted. But, but my father and mother were like, you're 17 years old. I was young because I had skipped a grade way back. You're 17 years old. You have no idea what you want to do for the rest of your life. Why don't you go to a liberal arts school? You already proved you could get into. I did get into Case Western Reserve also, which was in Ohio.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You've already proven you can get in. You can transfer if you want to. Well, P.S. I didn't transfer. And I'm not an architect. But in any event, um, I chose all schools in Ohio. And I chose Oberlin, which accepted me as the place that I wanted to go to because Oberlin had an incredible history in terms of being one of the first colleges to admit women, uh, first colleges to admit Blacks. Uh, It was on the Underground Railroad. It was a stop on the Underground Railroad to freedom. And it was just like, wow, I want to be a part of all of this. And the other thing that I liked about it is that they they still don't, but they did not have fraternities and sororities. Because I was not into like clicks. I said, you know, we can probably figure out our own clicks, which we did, of course. Yeah, of course. But, you know, the, but the organized click thing was not for me. The reason why I chose Ohio is my mother wanted me to apply to Bard College, which being in New Rochelle mm-hmm. was just right up the road. Oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to Ohio. There's all of Pennsylvania between her and me. It's not like she can say, Herb, let's get in the car and go visit Troy Allen. Yeah. So that's why I got to Ohio. It was the first time I had ever been away from my family for any length of time. I was thrown in with people from all over. I remember I always tell the story about when they pair people up in the dormitory, they put me in with another black woman. OK, she and I did not get along <laughs> at all because, you know, and I'm I'm saying this many years later, but, you know, I thought she probably thought I thought I, because I came from New York City that I was all that and a bag of chips. no. And I probably thought at the time, because she came from East Tree Stump wherever, that, you know, that she was a bumpkin, which is not true. But, you know, we were like 17 and 18 years old. So what did we know? But we did not get along. We ended up, I ended up being then groomed with a nice Jewish girl from the Bronx. And we got along fine because I had come from the Bronx and we shared like a lot of the same memories and everything. So, but it was interesting to me, the fact that, you know, having people, pairing people based just on race, for example, Mm -hmm. it was not a good way to do things. Mm -hmm. You need to take a lot of other considerations. But anyway, going back, it was my first time away from home. I experienced, you know, homesickness for a while, but then I got into my classes, into a social scene meeting people who were very, very oh PS, my ex-roommate and I actually got along fine for the four years once we weren't living with each other. But yeah. you know, so we started... were like in each other's faces
0: all the time. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, as it goes. But, yeah.
1: But we 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 created different families, you know, of groups of students and everything. There was a very vibrant um there was the at the time it was called the Afro house, but you know, the African-American house, but they also had a German house and a French house and an Italian house. And so you didn't have to be black to live at Afro house.
0: Yeah, That
1: was one of the things because it was not about segregating. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, it was quite the experience. I lived and worked there pretty much for four years in Ohio. I got summer jobs. Um, One of the I I voted for um, Howard Metzenbaum was running for a senator one year. I cast a vote. Don't ask me which year it was. Um, (laughs) It was just it was a really great experience because here I was. I was a New Yorker. okay, And I was out in the Midwest. And it was just like, wow, things are not everything's like it is in New York. Absolutely, absolutely, or Westchester County. So it was quite interesting. My relationship with Ohio to this day is that I am still close with many of the people that I met back then, even though they've gone on to you know they live in other places, North Carolina, South Carolina, DC, whatever. And as a matter of fact, um, recently, within the last, I think four or five months. I have become a part of the Oberlin alumni chat Sunday evenings from five to seven. And people people are in Oregon and, you know, in California and in different places. And we get on Zoom. That's one of the good things about the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We discovered Zoom and people that we wouldn't see regularly because we can't just get in the car and drive or get on a plane and fly. We get to see each other. And so I get to see them every week and we talk about everything and nothing. Sometimes it's like a Seinfeld episode only with, you know, with black people.
0: You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's awesome. So I still um, have a connection. When was the last time you were in Ohio? When was the last time you visited Oberlin? Did you, was after you graduated college, did you kind of, did you spend a long period of time away and did you ever go back um, and pay to visit at all? I have gone back to Oberlin
1: numerous times since 1975, but I am, because I'm a contrarian, I'm not one of those people who goes back for reunions. Mm -hmm. You know, we're having a reunion. That's nice. I'll look at the pictures. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I've gone back to Oberlin at times when, being in advertising for years, I traveled a lot. And Mm -hmm. if I found myself in Ohio, I would, make sure I had time to get to Oberlin just yeah. to walk around, stop in, wave at people I knew that were still on the campus, see mm-hmm. what has changed, you know, what's the same, the whole nine yards. But I I preferred
0: my visits to be more solo. I understand. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's so, a great answer. Yeah. I, one of my favorite things about that is that um you learned a lesson throughout all of that, that I wish, I, I wish that a lot of people who grew up in the tri-state area specifically, at least like this tri-state area um, could learn, which is, it's not always the same where you're from. And this country is very large. And there are a yes. lot of people who are not like you for the good and for the bad, you know? I just think that's a good let because I think it's very easy, specifically in the tri-state area, to just be in your own little bubble. Um, depending on where you are, your own little liberal bubble because of just where we're voting and like you know. So I think it's important for you to like branch out and just get that idea, you know. And I know that a lot of people aren't as fortunate, um, to travel so far for college, and 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 it's gotten even harder throughout the years, unfortunately, you know, due to the rise in education, like the rise in the month, how much education it costs, um. But it's happy that that's a lesson that you learned. And if anybody's listening who's young, you know, I think that's a good lesson. Even if you're you're old, you know, this this state, this country is very large. You know, you don't always have to take a vacation in Europe. Although I wish, if anybody wants to pay for me to go to Europe, I'd be happy to. But visit a big city in Ohio, you know, visit a, a large city anywhere in this country, you know, obviously, depending on where you are in this country, as you leave a city, it may not be as pleasant, depending on who you are, depending on what you look like, you know, like you and I, it may not be as pleasant, but you know, it's good to just see what's out there. Cause it's not always like where you're from. And that is some, that's an important lesson. I think that a lot of people can learn and it. I'm, and I'm happy that you had a really great experience in Oberlin. Um, well, one, one day I will and I will visit Ohio and I'll make sure to report back to you. Hopefully soon I'll visit Ohio and I'll make sure to report back to you and let you know how, to, how I enjoyed it myself.
1: <laughs> well, a couple of my family members were driving. I can't remember how many years ago, but they were driving from New York to Michigan for a wedding. And on their way back, they were coming through Ohio and they said, slow down, slow down, because there was a road sign for Oberlin next Exit, and they took a picture
0: just for me. <laughs> That's awesome
1: on Route 80, Overland, and everything. But I think one of the other things I'll add to this, if I may, is as I said, I was in advertising, set and I worked on the Army, United States Army account, which meant I went into for many years. I went to all sorts of far-flung places, wherever there was a base. Part of me being in Ohio for four years opened me up to saying that I would try to schedule my meetings so that I would have time to spend time in Omaha, in Tucson, you know, in different places and everything. I didn't have a whole lot of time and I wasn't going to like the museums or the this or the that. I was just kind of walking up and down the streets, going into shops, you know, like having dinner in a restaurant and everything, just feeling the pace, the ebb and flow
0: going on in this particular place. Yeah. Oh, and awesome. I re- I enjoyed it, that's awesome, yeah, which i I know that we've been chatting for a while, and that's an, that's an, I'm putting that adding that to the list of yes. something else that I would love to pick your brain on in the future, because I mean, we're gonna go behind the curtain and look at the wizard in Oz. But I do send you some questions and some backup questions we had were similar to some of the answers that you just gave. And so save them now. Maybe we'll do another one of these. Maybe we won't, maybe we'll go to lunch, but I do want to talk more about that in the future. Um, Sorry for going on, but. Oh no, please do not apologize. I'm having a blast, honestly. And I'm very happy that you're here. Um, But without further ado, let's get to our last question. And um, I, uh, I know this as being a friend of yours and from some of your social media presence, you can throw it down in the kitchen. As that's from what I can tell. I, I'm hoping one day it turns out, but you throw it down in the kitchen. Um, and I love I love talking to cooks because I think every cook has their own way on how they do things and the reasons is why they're passionate. But I'm curious to you, what are three things that are mandatory in your kitchen? Whether they're ingredients or utensils or maybe even both. If you want to give me a couple of lists, that's more if they're categorized, I'd be happy to take that. But what are some things that you always need in your kitchen at all times, if you're you know that are staples for you. butter But a great answer. yes. everything goes well with butter, and do you keep your butter out on the counter, or do you keep it in the fridge, or maybe both if you stock it up? amount time, I put it in
1: the refrigerator because otherwise it's just you know, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, a mess
1: and I'm not an air conditioning person, but in the when it when it cools down, it's out. It's okay. on the counter so that I can use it. And sometimes it's store bought, you know, just from Hannaford's. And sometimes I've gone someplace and bought like the really rich in butter fat,
0: you know. Yeah.
1: Butter because and French. But salad. I but I usually have both on hand. It depends on whether I'm scrambling eggs or actually, you know, making a dish, which one gets used. Yeah. So definitely. butter is a staple. I know this isn't one thing, but Generally, herbs and spices. Okay, you know all sorts. I have everything from like Himalayan salt to you know I'm making it up, but you know garlic flakes from the Mediterranean. (laughs) You know all of these odd things that I have. And then the third important ingredient in my kitchen, which you probably know, is music. Beautiful. I love that. I love that. What and. And whether it's that I turn, I have this thing, I do, I know, I'm old. Everybody's using Spotify or Bandcamp or something like that. And I'm cranking up the tunes on Accuradio. What can I say? And sometimes it's classical Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's Motown Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's country. I don't like all country, but that's okay. Sometimes it's country, but. A friend of mine a couple of years ago sent me a plaque. I didn't even expect it, but the plaque is in my kitchen. It says Troy Ellen's kitchen is for dancing and singing. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. And that's why, because I don't, I don't bake, for example, because baking is too precise. You Uh know, you have to have measurements and all of that kind of stuff. I'm one of those people who throws stuff in. Mm -hmm. I look at recipes for inspiration Like, oh, I've never had that and that together again. And then I close the book or I close the laptop, depending on where I'm getting the recipe from. And I'm one of those people a lot of times who, yes, there are times when I go out and I'm going to make teriyaki, shrimp, and rice. So I go and get the specific rice, and I get the fresh shrimp, and I get the ingredients, and I'm chopping and I'm dicing. Most nights, it's okay. What's in the refrigerator? (laughs) And that's how dinner starts, you know, whether it's rescuing the last of the broccolini from the crisper or Mm -hmm. it's, okay, these two eggs have been here for a while. Let's do something interesting with the eggs. I mean, I just, I kind of just throw stuff together. And I can honestly say that, well, at least in the last four years, Ninety-eight percent of the time, it's something I want to make again. Two percent of the time,
0: it's still good, but it's like, yeah, eh, not my best work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I mean, it sounds like you know, it's you're having fun with it, which is the most important part about it. It's like more of like, it's not necessarily always about the destination. It's not necessarily always about the destination. It's about the journey. Yeah. And then when you're having fun with the journey, the destination's you know twice as sweet. That sounds incredible. I know. Are exactly. you? I mean, just to go back at your other, um, your other answer. Are you the kind of person where, like, when you travel, you always like to pick up a, a spice you maybe have never seen to bring it home and keep in your cabinet and kind of play around oh. with?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. Somebody introduced me to Burberry about four years ago. Which don't ask me what it is. It's b e r b e r e. I think it's an African
0: spice. Okay, put on your list. But it's it,
1: hmm.
0: I said, I'm telling the listeners, put it on your list. This is a okay. recommendation.
1: <laughs> and then it's 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 sort of got like a reddish brown color to it. It's very hard for me to describe the flavor. But when I first got it, you know, when I asked the person, oh, well, you can use it on this. You can use it on that. I was like, great. So the first thing I used it on was, I think I was making pork chops or something. So mm-hmm. it's one of those rubs. You rub it in. You let it sit, pan-fried the pork chops, and I was like, oh mm, my God, this is delicious, when I took the first bite, you <laughs> that's, know? That's awesome. But then, you know, then I was afraid, but it was like, so I was just using it for like pork chops and chicken, and I think I used it on fish and everything like that. And then one night I was like, I want what it tastes like on beef, because mm-hmm. I had steak, and I did it, and it was like, oh yeah, this works on everything. This works on so. everything. And what's interesting about it is the flavoring is just a little bit different, depending on which protein you're putting it on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So. So, yeah, I mean, I'm one of those people I've had people bring me things I have never seen this before. What should I use it on? And. Most people know me at this point. I don't know, Troy Ellen, you figure it out.
0: You're going to put it on whatever you <laughs> want to put it on anyway. You know? Just the person to ask. Yeah, which is why I asked. I knew that I would get a an good answer out of it. It's just the person to ask. <laughs> That's incredible. And I will take that recommendation if I could find it anyway. I don't know if I can, but if I do end up finding it, it's going to come to mind. And I'm like, that is the recommendation. I'm going to pick that up and try it out myself. That's great. Well, those are the three things that must-haves in Troy Ellen's Kitchen. Um, well, that was our fifth and final question this was This has been an absolute blast for me. Well, I mean, as we do every episode, I ask you five questions. I think it's only fair that you ask me a question. So do you have a question for me at all? Yes, i do okay how do
1: you How do you select the people that you invite onto your podcast?
0: What a great question. I love this question. Um I brains okay um I brain it's obviously a lot of brainstorming but it really is just people that I just think would make good guests. You know, it's people that if I have not already talked to you, it's, it means that I, if I've not already had multiple conversations with you, it means that I want to have multiple conversations with you. If I have had multiple conversations, it means I don't want to keep having conversations with you. Um, if I don't know who you are, but I under, if I know little things about you that I'm just curious about, I would love to have a conversation with you. There, there are a lot of things in this world that I know nothing about, that people know a lot about. And so why not have them on and pick their brain a little bit and it may not even be as you know invasive as people do but then you know if, once you start picking someone's brain they want to open up to you and really let you know like we had um aj on aj is a barista at um rough draft and he said he's someone you know as well aj i know yes. aj
1: from from when he was at radio kingston and before that even
0: yes absolutely so we had him on the podcast and i know i he big sports fan and i don't know much about sports and so it came up in conversation and it's always just good to see See, I always love wanting to see people's light, their eyes light up over me asking them to just explain something to me that I know nothing about that they do. And so they can just have fun explaining it. So, you know, it, it's a lot of different facets and it's just people that I think that, again, I I would have a lot of fun talking to. And because this is a recorded podcast medium. Um, that I think that other people would have a lot of fun listening to their stories as well. So that's really kind of how I, this, and again, this is our first season, um, and I would I cannot wait to do more, honestly. And, you know, once this season's over, and once we publish it, and we wrap that up, and we can start a new project, um, maybe it'll be different the way we start having guests on, maybe it'll be the same where it's just kind of a feeling, but... Um, long story short, it's, it's a feeling. It's somebody, it's just, it's just people that I, I feel would make really good guests. And so far I have not been wrong and I feel very thankful for that.
1: Well, thank you for answering that question. I was Absolutely. wondering if you actually had like a list of categories or whatever, but I like the fact that it's more intuitive. Yes. And it's more yes. Definitely. About- this season. Yeah.
0: In the future, you know, we've talked about maybe changing it up and I won't say it now just to keep it and off mic. I'd be happy to share some of those ideas with you, but, um, for the first season to really put this stream of mine into fruition that I've had, you know it really was more of an intuition and a feeling and some people who I admire that I would they knew that I would enjoy having a conversation with. So yeah, that's the answer
1: well, I very much appreciate you inviting me onto this. Oh, my God. And thank is, you so much. And, I, for, and I've enjoyed oh our conversation. I feel like we've only been talking for about 15 minutes, but I know
0: it's been way longer. I will say this is the longest episode we've had, which is not, it's not in a bad way because we don't have a time limit. We, I let the episodes go for as long as time lets them go. You know, I, we, we set aside time. We're no, we're in no rush. Cause you know, again, I want it to be, I don't want to have a rush anybody. I want to hear everything you have to say about what I'm asking you to. So, and that's in a good way. I've, I've had a blessed chatting with you and I can't wait to do it again soon.
1: And so oh, thank absolutely. you so much for coming
0: on and joining me on my show. Thank you for inviting me. All right. Well, this is the end of our show. Thank you so much for being on everyone. Thank you so much for listening. At this point, there might possibly be an outro that we're editing in. We're still kind of figuring out that kinks on how to end the show, but this has been a show, and so, you know, thank you very much for being on that. We're ending it here. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at 5 questions and a Beer. Have a question for us? Feel free to shoot us an email at 5QuestionsAndABeer at gmail.com. 5 questionsinabeer is an Orange Manatee production hosted by Chewy Altamirano and produced by Chewy Altamirano and Ian Belfort.